Oh, thank you. Good morning. Oh, good morning, everyone here, everyone watching over in Traditions online. It is so good to be here. And like Pastor Caleb said, continuing our series, Culture Shift. It's kind of a little bit of a mouthful there, but, you know, just be careful when you say it and uh, you'll be good. <laughs> and uh, it's really the whole kind of heart is looking at the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus shared is a new culture, is, is different than what we are used to in this world. And so that is the shift. It's really even bigger than that. It's just something brand new entirely. And as Pastor Caleb was sharing last week about the culture he saw in Ethiopia, it kind of just made me start thinking about my own family culture. I don't know if it got you thinking that way too about different things that is normal in your family. But maybe as you get older, you learn it's not normal, right? And um, I, for me, that kind of stood out as I started dating my now husband, Kyle. As you kind of like get in those young adult years and you really learn what's going on with other people's families. And so um, when he was, you know, hanging out at our house and all that stuff, I think this really came to light. And I didn't understand that, man, my family, we really love salt, there's any, any other salt families out there? You know, there are, there are sweet families and there are salt families. And not that we were salty, but we, were, we love salt, you know. We might, you know, even just like carry around some salt, you know. Wherever you go, you can never not be prepared. Um, and really where this like finally, <laughs> this, I have a point with that. I don't really just carry it around. <laughs> um, and really where I learned this was probably the first summer, kind of coming up on almost a year of dating, and summertime calls for one thing and one thing only in my opinion, and that is watermelon. And so we were having watermelon, and I was so excited. You know, for, for my family, this, is, this doesn't do it justice. You can't really get like a whole watermelon right now. So um, this is what we have to deal with. But for my family, we love to cut up a big watermelon. Um, the proper way to eat it is in a pie dish, a glass pie dish, because it has an edge. So it catches all the juice. And uh, it's really great. You get like a huge chunk. This is the only way I know. And so I have my big dish of watermelon about to like go to town on it. And I pull out the salt. And I start putting it on my watermelon. And Kyle looks at me like I have lost my mind. It is the shocked Pikachu face. It is like, what are you doing? And I'm like, this, this is normal. <laughs> Like, I, this is the way you eat watermelon. I was so confused, and I learned that day that it was not normal for someone who, who grew up in Washington. I don't know, his roots are kind of here, and for my family, we've got, we've got some roots in the South and, and that kind of stuff. I think that's where it comes from, um, but when we moved to California shortly, like, after getting married, I found some, like, like-minded people along with me because they put salt on fruit, they put tahini on fruit, like, it is a thing, and so I didn't feel so alone, so that was nice. Um, <laughs> but all that to say, there are things that are normal for some of us that are not normal for others, right? I'm going to move this here so you're not distracted by the delicious watermelon, um, there are some things that are normal, right, for some families. 
that are not normal for others. There are some things that are normal in cultures that are different in others. And some of those things are good and just like not harmless, right? Salt on watermelon, it's probably not good for your body technically, but you know, whatever. But it's harmless, right? But there are some norms that we get used to that are harm, harmful, right? There's some things that are just normal to us that are not good, right? We look at marriages, It is normal, it is more normal than not normal to be divorced, right? We look at young people, we look at them going through school, right? It is more normal than not that they're going to be depressed at some point, right? We look at anything in this world, we look at people, um, you know, going home from work and just drinking and drinking and drinking alcohol until they are so out of their mind they pass out. That is normal, a lot in our culture. And we would say, you know, these things, they're normal, but they're, they're not God's best for us, right? They're not a part of God's design. Some of them, we might, you know, just say, this is a part of experience, this happens sometimes, right? But God wouldn't have picked this story for us. But that is cultural norms. And so as Christians, we look to the word of God to see what God's best is for us, what God would say the culture should be as a part of our life as Christians because we're people of the word. And so that is our standard. That's our guide in life. And so we want to see what Jesus said. And so we're going to continue that Sermon on the Mount passage in Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at just a few verses today. We're going to start in verse 13. And Jesus is speaking here. And he says, you are the salt on the watermelon. No, just kidding. He did not say that. He should have though, but anyway. (laughs) You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. And this verse, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? Salt, it needs to be salty. Um, And we think of, at this time, who is Jesus talking to? He's gathered a large crowd, and he's called his disciples up to talk to them and to teach them. But there was a lot of different norms going on in the disciples. They were different people from different backgrounds, different values. And it's really no different from now right? Those, those values of the world that Pastor Caleb talked about last week of power, of wealth, of pleasure. And they were represented in different ways, right? The, the Pharisees at the time, they believed that their tradition represented the ultimate measure of righteousness. Well, that was power to them. And then there was others who were dressing up their own agendas in religious clothes, right? The people selling things in the temple. They were trying to get wealth. They were trying to seek pleasure under, under the banner of religion and under the banner of God. And so in steps Jesus to this time period, having the same values that we see now, and he says, hey, here's a new culture I'm calling you to. And now I want you to order your life in a way that is completely different than what you're used to. And I think that we resonate with that. I think we see the same things in our society. We see the brokenness. We see the ways that things are not as they should be. 
And we see, man, people are satisfied for things that are pretty bland. People are satisfied for tasteless and flavorless things. We look at the world of entertainment, we're like, man, that really satisfies you? And as Christians, we're like, man, how could that satisfy you, right? We've got the salt. We know, like, we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so we understand that stuff, that is not appealing. And sometimes we leave it there. Sometimes that's kind of as far as we take it. But it shouldn't be that way. And let's read this verse again. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But don't let anyone else taste this salt, or else you won't have enough. Does your Bible say that? No, right? I'm just rewriting scripture a lot today. This is really, this is a bad note to start on. But Jesus does not say that. Jesus says, do not lose your flavor. Do not lose your flavor. You see how flavorless the world is around you? Flavor it. You are the salt. Jesus didn't say, hey, go and be salty. He didn't say, go and have an attitude. Go and be rude to everybody who doesn't get it. He says, you are the salt. And so what does that mean? It means that the kingdom life brings value to our interactions. Means that it brings value to every interaction that our lives are important in this world. And that's regardless of status because Jesus is talking to a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds. He wasn't just talking to people who had wealth. He wasn't talking to people who had the right job or came from the right family. Regardless of our status, regardless of our profession, the kingdom life that we have is invaluable for the seasoning effect it will have on the world around us. And we get to walk in that confidence. I think that is so amazing. That's so countercultural to the world because everyone else walks into a room, walks into a situation, walks into their, their classroom, their workplace, and they think, what can I get out of this? Right, I'm here for my paycheck, and you better pay me right. I better have the right benefits. You better treat me with respect in my workplace. Or, man, this teacher better give me an A. I showed up to class every day. Like, I better get what's mine. But we, as people of God, we walk into every situation with the mentality that comes from God that says, what does God want me to speak in this situation? Man, what does God want to say to my coworker who's hurting and broken right now? Man, what, what value can I add in my classroom to this teacher that is struggling to manage all of my friends and classmates? That's God's heart, is that, man, we get to be used by God in every situation, We don't go into situations and consume and get things out of it. We go into situations and we bring the salt. We bring the flavoring. We bring what Jesus has for the situation. And he continues along the same theme in the next verse, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop, 
that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So Jesus is saying, you're the salt, you're the light. You are flavoring the world and you are bringing the light into the darkness. In what ways do we do that? That's kind of the question I came back to thinking of these verses. So what are the ways that Christians do that? And it brought me back to those kingdom norms that Pastor Caleb talked about last week. We do that through repentance. That is countercultural. Repenting, saying, man, I'm sorry I messed up. We do that through surrender. God, what do you want to do here? I surrender to you. We do that through pursuit, pursuing the things of God, pursuing righteousness. We do that through compassion for other people. We do that through purity in our own life. Talk about countercultural. We do that through reconciliation, through being someone that builds bridges between people and throughout our whole life. You know, growing up, my parents, they used to kind of, they had like this phrase that they spoke over me. I don't know if you ever have done this with your kids where you're like, yes, I see leadership in you and, and that's amazing. Sometimes that's like a code word for like, you rally up people for the wrong things and so I'm gonna like speak something positive into it. Um, and so they spoke this word over me time and time again and they said pace setter. They said, Susie, we believe that you're a pace setter. And growing up, I was like, okay, cool. Like, I don't really know what that means. And even kind of as a young adult and an adult, I'm like, like I love that. That's, that's great. But I'm not really sure I see it, you know? Like, and so over the course of even like this past year, it's kind of taking on a new meaning for me. And I think it's interesting because in the context of like this global pandemic that we've all lived through, right? We've all been affected in some way or another. And even though we can all be affected by something, it's still very personal the way it affected us, right? Like my experience is very different than your experience. And that's based on how our lives are, right? What stage of life are you in? Do you have kids who are in school or maybe your kids are already graduated or maybe you're single? Those experiences are gonna be very different, right? Maybe you never got sick. Maybe no one in your family got sick. Like that experience is very different. Maybe you were able to stay home from work or you didn't have work. Like, so we have this like, we all get it, but at the same time, we all don't get it kind of thing. And I think that everyone felt that in a way where at some point, everyone felt really alone. And I think it, it doesn't matter like how much support you had. It doesn't matter if, if your spouse had a similar experience to you. Like everyone at some point felt alone over these past few years. And I know I felt that way too. I felt alone. And I remember God bringing this word back to my mind. And it's as if he was telling me, like, Susie, you can't be a pace setter and be with other people. 
Like to be a pace setter is to be alone. And I share that because I believe that that's God's word for our church. Is that we cannot set the pace, we cannot be salt, we cannot be light without being alone. Those things in and of itself mean that we are different. It means that we are set apart. It means that we are different than the world. And I believe God's heart is just saying it's not bad to feel alone. When you're walking in kingdom norms, when you're walking with the kingdom culture, it's supposed to feel that way, right? That's how it's supposed to be because we live in a different culture than the kingdom of God. We live in a different culture, and so we should be used to feeling different. In fact, Jesus encourages his followers to openly show their allegiance. He encourages them through these verses. He says, I want you to openly show your allegiance. He says, you are the light. You are the light. So be the light. Right? He says, no one takes the light and puts a basket over it because the light will go out. I don't know if you ever lit a candle before, but that's what he's talking about. They didn't have electricity back then. So you put a basket over it and it will literally go out if you hide your light. It is not there anymore. It's the same as salt. If you take away the salt from salt, it is no longer salt. It's it's, almost, it's the same as water, right? Water is H2O. That's the chemical, right? I think. I'm getting a little off of what I'm actually experienced in. And, uh, but, right, if you take the hydrogen out of water, yeah. it's no longer water anymore, yeah. right? The same as salt, the same as light. It is no longer those things. And so sometimes I think that we get so focused on the darkness, We get so focused on, man, it is dark out there. Man, look what's normal now. Man, look at how broken this world is. But church, we are not powerless against the darkness. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. I think that is so interesting because when I think of the light of the world, I think of Jesus. But Jesus says, you are the light of the world. That is amazing. And light stands out in the darkness. Light cannot be invisible. It has to stand out. And so it's one or the other. It's either you are light or you are darkness. And Jesus invites us to show our allegiance by joining him in communicating and spreading the good news. That is what the light does. It it proclaims Jesus, right? And these verses, these are our mission as Christians, that we are salt, that we are light, we flavor wherever we go. We bring light, we shine the goodness of God into the darkness of the world. You know, one of the great Christian thinkers who, um, he, his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he died, he was killed in a concentration camp because he wasn't willing to hide his light. 
He had every opportunity to, actually. And he decided to stand up. And he said this. He said, a community of Jesus that seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. If we seek to hide ourselves, we are no longer following Jesus. And you know, meeting together, it's so important. It's something God has told us to do. It's something we know is good for us. And we're really good at it. We're really great at meeting together. We do it every single week, year and year and year. But to be salt and to be light, we must go. We must be in the world. And we're all in it every day, right? It's not as if you have to find a new place to go to be into the world. You go to work, right? You go to the gym. You go to your school. We are in the world. But to be the church, we must be visible. We must be visible. And this is a part of our vision for outreach this year, Sound Life Church, is that we would be in the community shining the light, spreading salt, flavoring this community. And so how do we live out these norms, right? We can have this kind of idea of what God wants us to do, but how does this look? How do we show this allegiance? And disciples are called to be intentional as we live in the world. That's how we do it, is by being intentional, If you're familiar with the book of Matthew, in just the chapter before this, chapter 4, we see the story of Jesus calling the disciples. Right before he preaches this sermon, he's going out, and what does he do? He goes to the people where they're working, and he says, hey, follow me. And they're fishing, and he says, and I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus calls them to now be intentional about what they already know how to do. They already know how to fish. And Jesus is saying, man, I'm going to put intention into your every day. Right? He didn't say, follow me, and I'm going to make you an app developer. Right? That's like so out of the realm of possibility. But Jesus calls people right where they are to just live intentionally. Right? Salt is intentional right? I am very intentional with my salt, right? I am putting that on there. I am loving every minute of it. Oh, there's not enough. I'll put some more. Oops, sorry about that. <laughs> Light is intentional. We turn it on, we turn it off. Like it, Those are intentional things. They are on purpose and not by accident, and that's what Jesus calls us to do. You know, last, this last week, had one of those fun moments. You know, after school, if, you, if you've ever had kids, you've ever been a kid, um, if you have kids now, you know that, yeah, which is everyone, so. <laughs> um, you know that after school, um, your parent usually, typically, always says, oh, how was school today? And if you're a parent, you know you usually don't get anything out of them ever um, for so many different reasons. For, for my son's reason, he's in first grade, and so he's already moved on to, like, the next thing, and so he's not really focused on what happened. But for my son Harrison, a good day is when nothing bad happens. That's his definition of a good day. Nothing bad happened today. And so I don't know if I'm raising a pessimist. I'm not really sure, but... 
I, I don't know, pray for me. So I asked him this last week, I said, hey, how was your day, bud? And he said, well, one bad thing happened. And so what happened was basically they had an awards assembly and um, they were honoring kids who had met various goals, right? They, they met their education goals. They stood out in respectfulness, responsibility, blah, 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 all right? And he did not get an award. And so that was the bad thing that happened. And so, you know, I explained to him, you know, not everyone gets an award, right? Yeah, yeah, not everyone gets one. And, and it's so cool. You can celebrate with your friends. Your friends got one. That's so cool. Like, that's awesome. And then I just felt led by the Spirit, you know. And, you know, sometimes you just have these great moments as a parent. And I just had one of these. And I was like, you know what, Harrison? If you never get an award but you still are respectful when no one else is looking. That is the best thing. I would be so much more proud of you if you did that. I was like, I'd be so much more proud of you if you do those things and never get an award because you do them when no one else is watching, right? You do them not for an award. And man, I just was like, yeah, what a great mom speech. That was so good. (laughs) And he just said, yeah, I guess it's just a piece of paper anyway. <laughs> he totally disregarded, like, all the moving, I don't know, I don't know. But that's the heart of a good parent, right? That's the heart. And God is a good God. God is like, you know, there, there are no awards for adults who are respectful, right? I wish they had an Oscar ceremony for that. They, they really should, But there's no awards when you're respectful at work. There's no awards when you cultivate a good relationship. There's there's no awards for that. There are earthly rewards. There's power. There's pleasure. There is wealth. But if that is what we are seeking, that is all we will get. And it is temporary. It will last here in this lifetime. And Jesus says... Great is your reward in heaven. In heaven. And we're going to get a well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's the award that we want as a church. That's the award we want as Christians. And Paul talks about this same idea in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. So what is it like to walk this kingdom life with God? What is it like to live the culture of heaven on earth? It's clean and innocent lives. It is in our control to live this out. It is living without complaining and arguing. I heard the collective sigh when I, when I read that, right? When we are intentional in how we speak, in when we speak, in what we speak, in where we go, in what we do, those things shine a light. Those things add salt, 
Every time that you've experienced someone else's brokenness, right, by maybe the words they used against you that weren't so kind, and you've decided to respond with grace, that is shining the light. That is shining the light. Every time someone took a shortcut at work and you decided to do the right thing, that is shining a light. Every time someone cheated on homework and cheated off your own paper and you decided to continue with what you knew was right, that shines a light in the darkness. And so be encouraged. God sees us. God sees us in the darkness trying to shine our light with all that we have, messing up along the way, of course, but trying and he is pleased with us. It brings him glory. Every time we choose to pray for somebody who hurt us, every time we choose to forgive, even when someone didn't ask for forgiveness, we are shining a light. But if that is our mission, to be salt, to shine a light, then there is also another side of the coin. There is another side that must be true. Because in ancient times, salt had a lot of different uses. There was a lot of things you could use this for that they made great sermon illustrations, but I'm just going to stick with what Jesus was talking about, and that is flavoring. Jesus was talking about it adding flavoring. And so if salt cannot lose its flavoring, we need to ask ourselves if we are flavoring things. We need to ask ourselves if we are shining a light because if we aren't, then we are not salt. If we are not shining a light, then we are not light. And there is only one other option. There's not a middle ground. There's either light or darkness. And so being a disciple following Jesus, it can't be manufactured. It cannot be imitated. We can fool each other for a little bit, but there are works that follow. There is good fruit, the Bible says. There is proof. And so we carry the light of the gospel. We also are the light. And the proof is that the Holy Spirit is transforming every area of our life. The proof of that is the Holy Spirit's transforming us. One of my favorite theologians, her name is Felicia Masonheimer, and she shared this week something that was so perfect. And she said, we are so worried about creating a works-based faith that we've settled for a faith that requires no works. We've settled for a faith that's just like, I raised my hand one time and I show up to church on Sunday and that's it. And that, Jesus says, that's not salt. That is not salt. And that's why I like describing following Jesus as a change of allegiance. A change of allegiance because being a Christian, it means that you are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means that you are constantly being transformed. And so if your faith is not affecting your character, if your faith is not affecting your attitude towards sin, if your faith is not affecting your choices, you should ask yourself if you really follow Jesus. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. 
And the correct response to Jesus is, Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, you are my King. And those two titles for Jesus are positions of authority. They're positions we give of authority, which means Jesus is the one that we pledge our allegiance to. Nobody else, not even ourselves, has the right to decide things for us, only Jesus. So if Christ is your buddy and not your king, we need to reevaluate. And Jesus is calling, he is knocking, he is good to always give us another chance, but he is more than a friend. He's more than a counselor. He's more than there when you really need him and not anymore, but he wants to transform every single day. And I know that for so many of us, we are so open about what we, are, what we have allegiance for. Right? I'm very open. I love Disneyland. I have an allegiance for Disneyland. I don't know that we'll ever go to Disney World. We just have this allegiance and love for Disneyland. But do I want to be known by that? Do I want that to rule my choices, even my financial decisions? No. Jesus is king over that. And I want the Holy Spirit to transform everything that I do. So we, do we bring everything before Jesus and say, God, this is available for you. God, my vacation's available for you. God, my weeknights are available for you. God, my, my day in, my day out, my sitting at my desk is available for you. And so I want to ask that question is, have you truly surrendered your allegiance to Jesus? I know the answer for many is yes. But I want to consider that. Are you truly available to Jesus above all else? And if, if you're not sure, man, make today the day that you are sure that Jesus is your king. And sometimes we, we describe becoming a Christian as giving your heart to Jesus. And I think that's true. That's accurate. But I think sometimes it misses the weight of a change of allegiance. Because following Jesus is an action. It's a change to the kingdom of God. And so I want to invite us to fully commit to what Jesus has for us. If you'll bow your head and you close your eyes, wherever you are, whatever campus or venue online, I want to ask that question. Just ask that to your own heart. Where is my allegiance? Am I growing in devotion to Jesus? Is the Holy Spirit transforming me? Is Jesus my king? If not, I'm just going to ask right now, all over this room, wherever you are, will you raise your hand? If you want to make a change of allegiance to Jesus, would you raise your hand and just acknowledge that you want Jesus as king? I see your hand there. I see your hand. That's, that's awesome. So you raise it. You can put it back down. Anyone else want to change their allegiance? As I pray, I just want you to pray this prayer from your heart. Pray this prayer, not just from your heart, with, with, with intention to take action. So God, we come before you and we say, 
We know we haven't made you a king over our life. We've fallen short. God, we've chosen other things. And God, we want to choose you above all. God, we place our ultimate trust in you as our savior, as our king. And God, we're drawing a line in the sand. We want to be used as light. We want to be used as salt. So God, would you save us from our sins? Would you cleanse us from all unrighteousness and help us to follow after you? In Jesus' name, amen.